One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, everyone. I'm, well... It's obvious. I'm John Verhoeven, and I was a cop back in the 80s in Sydney. And I'm Paul Verhoeven, John's son. I'm an author, and I wrote two books about Dad's time as a cop. The first five seasons of Loose Units spanned my time in general duties, forensics, my time as a firefighter, and even my stint running a funeral home. This season, we're visiting the locations of Australia's most notorious, baffling, horrific crimes, and looking at what happened there. From Snowtown to the family... From the Morehouse murders to haunted highways. This season of Loose Units is your go-to guide to the worst crimes in Australian true crime history. Welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Hello and welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. A couple of days ago, Dad sent me a coroner's report from the WA courts. And I have to say, I've never read a coroner's report before. But if they were all this well written, I think I'll be reading them a bit more from now on. This coroner's report was sent to me by you dad because it was spurred by an abc article written about a bunch of people who went prospecting in the outback in wa and what followed was i think i think it's fair to say a proper mystery Mm. and this happened back in 2015 which is obviously you know quite a while ago god i'm feeling old right now i don't know turning 40s really mess with my head but 2015 is not an insubstantial amount of time ago and yet for the people involved in this case it is it's still ongoing. Now, could you talk me through what it was that drew you to this? Because obviously it does technically involve three people going on, I guess, a little bit of an adventure. Is mm-hmm. that correct? Yeah, prospecting. Yeah. And it came to my attention mm-hmm. uh, through an ABC News article. I was scour the, uh, you know, the, the media of the day. And if something piques my interest, I do a little bit more research and then invariably I get in touch with you. And you said something quite interesting. You said, Dad, is this story basically just an ABC story or are there other sources? So I began to to dig. dig. Prospect, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. And I I, I love prospecting. Have Uh, you been prospecting before? Um, well, in a way, I've prospected for old bottles. So let's just define prospecting because they were doing this up in mining country. A lot of old mines, a lot of disused mines, kind of quarries and mine shafts. You've talked about mine, like this sort of architecture. Architecture, that's not what it is. But when I think about this sort of thing, I generally think of sort of weirdos with metal detectors. I know that's disparaging, Mm. whatever. That's like, that's what it seems like to me. 
Um, have well, you ever? Did you go through a metal detector phase in the nineties, like everyone else? No, but I used to see a lot of people down when I was soft sand running. Uh-huh. You get a lot of metal detectorists down on the sand. <laughs> they and don't it, still do it, do they? Oh yes, they do, and it makes good sense, particularly at crowded beaches yeah. in summer when you've got literally, well, at, a, at big beaches like Bondi and Manly, mm-hmm. the numbers are in their well, at least in their thousands. And those and people must surely be carrying and dropping things, right? They do, and and and. I've seen photographs down at Manly, um, laminated posters nailed to the beach volleyball posts mm-hmm. with photographs of extremely valuable diamond rings, for example, <clears throat> that have been found. And the, the prospectors use these posts as sort of a, an advertising um, platform to notify people that have lost items that they've been found and they can get in touch with these people uh, from a legal perspective that in my mind creates all sorts of drama because there is actually the offense of finding or stealing by finding sure so that's that's a whole that's a can of worms but yes it's a it's a it's an innate um sort of desire for people to find the the mother load and it exists both in reality and in people's minds. And I think a lot of people over the years have gone crazy, particularly looking for, you know, you hear about like Lassiter's gold, for example. These these are alleged folklore stories about the, the desire to find something that's been lost over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. And Paul, I have been fossicking for... Um, what's the blue stone called? Um, oh, uh, golly! Why could <laughs> sapphire. Sa- sapphire? Sapphire, sapphire, okay. Yeah, good. and yep. I've been, I've, I've done it north of Armadale <clears throat> as a yep. young kid. Let's don't forget that the most famous pink diamond mine in the world, uh, you know, because pink's the rarest diamond and they're, they're beyond valuable, mm. and they were found. Um, well, they came from the Argyle diamond mines in Western Australia. And Paul, it was geologists that were walking through ancient creek beds, fossicking. Okay? That's what you do. You you can use a metal detector, but you can use, you can do it at night time, which mm-hmm. kind of will tie into this story, um, possibly. And also, you've got the creek beds where you reach down with your your pan you get a whole, maybe a kilo of, of wet sand. And you've seen them do it, Paul. You know, you're sort of... I've, done, I've, I've panned for gold. I've okay, been to um, you know, Sovereign Hill. and <laughs> Yeah, and that's yeah. how it works because the gold stays at the bottom of the of the pan because it's it's very dense and heavy and everything slowly gets sort of sifted away. So, it and I get it. And it's also, there have been some extraordinary finds in Australian history where people have... There's, there's a very famous case of a, a guy pulled up on the side of a road to go to the toilet. He peed down onto the ground, and as his urine was hitting the ground, it uncovered a gold nugget that weighed many kilos. Extraordinary. So there's a lot of gold out there. That's the great thing about prospecting. So I guess that's sort of what Drew Ray and Jenny Kellett, uh, who are the people that this case is all about, 
into it's an area in WA. It's fairly remote. Um, it's mm. called Bell Chambers. Uh, I'm not familiar with the area, but it is. Yeah, it's very very remote. Uh, kind of ex mining area in WA, mm. and it's a, it was a common site for prospectors. Right, like there is a reason they would go there because hope. I'm assuming they were hoping to find what leftovers. Yeah, remnants from. I mean, it's a historically significant mining area with shafts going back well over a hundred years. Okay. Uh, there are in this particular area that they wanted to prospect in. There are approximately 140 shafts, and um, you know they've they've been around for a long time. They're very very dangerous. Mm-hmm. But what what happens with mining is that you you dig a shaft and you get what's called the spill. The spill is the the sort of you know the the soil and the rock that you bring up, and you create these mounds. It's not possible with early techniques to get everything out of the mounds and occasionally mm-hmm. things get missed. So prospecting, you you go along and you go through the mounds, but also just you look at the, the, the soil. You don't need to dig holes so because the gold is often on the surface. So this particular couple, Ray and Jenny, they'd been married for some time. They both had children from previous marriages. They were in their late 40s and... If you read the coroner's report, Paul, the general consensus, and this is really important for the listener to realise that we're not going to even go into that place, that dark place where it's possible that one or other of the people in that relationship may have caused harm to the other. Because as the coroner has said, that their relationship was described as being laminated together. What does that mean? means that... Well, laminate is like you get two pieces of material, like two pieces of timber, and you put a sheet of or a sort of a, you sort of cement them together with glue, and under pressure they become one, and they were basically inseparable. They were um, they got married in two thousand seven, hmm. um, and obviously this happened in twenty fifteen. So they've been together for quite a while. They shared a lot of hobbies. Uh, they were apparently pretty much inseparable. Yes. And uh, they had basically decided to scale back the amount of time they spent working. Mm, because so they, had, they, a, they spend... had a hobby farm? Yeah, yeah. And um, they both worked for that very famous company, FMG, Fortescue Metals Group. You know, they worked at a place called the Cloud Break Mine. Mm-hmm. And Ray was a plant operator and he did a bit of supervising work. And Jenny, interestingly, worked yeah. as a dump truck operator. And which is, you know, those massive trucks? Yes. Like the, the monster trucks? And yeah, yeah. What, and that's what she was doing. And But they also, they were working there at FMG when they met the third member of this triptych. And this, this guy, Milne, M-I-L-N-E, uh, he is, I would say, the most interesting figure mm. in this whole case. Well, he's and the most he's interesting. Gonna... Yeah, he's interesting <laughs> because he's the only, he's the only survivor. Yeah. Which is... Uh, I think I think I'd like to touch on the fact that his role within the Fortescue Mining or Metal Group mm-hmm. was he was an emergency services officer, which means he would have been in you know he would have been involved with fire, um, yep. you know fire control, fire um, training, yep. and also first aid. He would have done a lot of you know you can imagine any, any emergency happens on site. He's you know well well qualified. He'd been doing that for five years. Now, interestingly, Paul, Jenny 
she suffered on a particular day some chest pain and Milne was mm-hmm. the guy that treated her for the chest pains mm-hmm. and he would right. have made an initial so he obviously had some pretty serious um, you know first aid training mm-hmm. and he would have been the go-to person on site that would have handled all initial um, you know queries medical queries and he would have then made the call as to whether to escalate it to, in other words, get, you know, outside help or in an extreme case, have that person mm-hmm. airlifted. Because near this particular, near all these mines, you've got airports. Because, you know, here you have the fly-in, fly-out workers. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't bust them in. It's not, not viable. They all basically live back in Perth. So this particular, you know, they, they built up a relationship. Um, it was a good friendship, and they found out that Mr. Milne, he yep. was also a prospector, and he did it in his spare time. And so they clearly develop a sort of friendship, a about friendship. The, around this common yeah. interest. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and they, you know, they they showed strong enthusiasm, uh, and the three of them. They used to, because you know, in these mines, you've sort of the big camps. You've got all these like lunch rooms where everyone sort of dines, breakfast, lunch, and tea. Mm-hmm. And they ended up sitting with each other and dining together, and they all became pretty tight. And Mr. Uh, Milne, I refer to him as, he even visited Ray and Jenny on their farm in uh, in the, the town of Beverly. Mm-hmm. And they started getting getting into it big time. And Milne then, to take them to the next level, he began to show them how to prepare their motor vehicles and then how to operate metal detectors. And, and this is kind of a little bit exciting. He also showed them how to do abseiling. And what they did, they set abseiling um, equipment up in one of the sheds mm-hmm. and... They began to learn because the couple, what they were, Ray, Ray and Je- because Ray and Jenny Paul, they were their ultimate goal mm-hmm. was to actually go down into the mine shafts, which and is to prospect basically at the source. I mean, that correct. is not a you've talked about, you know, belaying down. Yes. Rock faces and one of the stories in Electric Blue actually was when you had to retrieve a body from partway down a rock face mm. using sort of, you know, rappelling down. Yep. But going into a mine shaft, that is a pitch black environment. It's high risk. I'm assuming that abandoned mine shafts because they're not being fucking maintained. So it's, I mean, it seems dangerous at the Super best dangerous. of times, right? So yeah. dangerous. And they're, they're, okay. they're narrow and they can have a buildup of gases at the bottom. Mm-hmm. So that's problematic because you don't know. Because in law, in terms of when I was with work cover, that would be regarded as a confined space. Many people die in confined spaces. You have, you know, all these terrible bloody gases and they sink to the bottom of the shaft. They're invisible. You go down, you don't have breathing apparatus. You take in a couple of breaths of of these sort of putrefying, you know, gases and you pass out. Yeah, and then of course you've got retrieval problems. I mean, it's just a, it's a nightmare. But this is what they were thinking, you know, initially. Because I guess when you start a hobby and you think about fossicking and the incredible excitement of possibly finding a seam of gold and mm-hmm. being able to follow it and just, golly, and 
it's really interesting. Um, so they they began to organize a couple of trips. Okay, now the very first trip that they went on, mm-hmm. um, they were planned. Interestingly enough, both the husband and wife Ray and Jenny they both had their own four wheel drives as did Milne. So they had a convoy of three four-wheel drives. They were set up incredibly well. They had all the gear. They had sat-nav gear. They had, you know, um, satellite phones. They had a lot of solar-powered equipment. They had heaps of food. And the very first trip that they planned, the three of them, there was an illness in the family and they had to cancel the whole thing. And uh, the second trip, they were very excited again. They reached the Mount Magnet area. But what happened was they had actually driven about 600 kilometres from Perth and they'd, unbeknownst to them, come into the, the tail end of a cyclone. And the cyclone, uh, they could only stay two nights. They were waiting and waiting for the rain to stop. And of course, it's not sensible and prudent to go prospecting when it's wet because mm-hmm. that makes the the ground around these shafts um, prone and vulnerable to collapse and if you go down one of these shafts well to get the average sharp shaft depth in this region is around about 20 meters now that might not sound like no that sounds dead no, that's, I mean, I've, I've dived I, yeah that's it's a, a six-story building that's fucking huge, yeah. Paul, huge. Go out to the front of your building, count mm-hmm. the number of floors. Yep. It's not six floors. Go go add a few floors on top and then imagine falling in pitch blackness. Yep. In darkness. It's it's yep. fucking horrendous. So they were prudent. They they're sensible people. They were involved in mining. One of them was bloody safety quality these are people that are hardcore, then, and they were, they were all known to be very, very sensible people. They were all mm-hmm. they were all fastidious. They were tidy. They were very, very um, serious in what they were going to do. They were well versed in the dangers. I mean, yep. God, they're all from a mining background. They were really, really good. So they decided to can the second trip, which would have been terrible. You're talking incredible distances driving, like up to twenty hours driving, and. They then set up and they organised the third trip. Now, and they well, the second trip. I keep seeing mention. And I just want to quickly check on you, uh, check on this, Dad. I keep seeing mention in this coroner's report and in the ABC article of something called the three million dollar patch. Hmm. Um, my understanding is that this was what they referred to as uh, a, a specific area in which hmm. they would presumably find uh, quite a bit of money. Correct. Um, they've been researching for ages and they were planning to head down. And it seems like the second trip that the, the cyclone stopped was kind of where they ended up for the third trip, right? Like they hmm. were they, they were going to end up there eventually anyway, is what I'm saying. Correct. Um, yeah, okay. okay. But, but, and this is interesting and very important to, to hmm. all take stock of, that is the, the fact that Ray and Jenny... Mm-hmm. They had been planning this trip. They'd come up with this beautiful term, which was their own term, the $3 million patch. I think that's really sweet. It's sort of, they're aiming for the star. 
One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is not a, this is not a known patch insofar as it is a known area, but, but that's, they've named it themselves, which I think is really sweet. But with prospecting mm-hmm. one of the, the keys to this that creates a bit of a drama if anything ever goes wrong with prospecting is that prospectors don't tell their friends and family of course not because it's a secret yeah that's how almost obsessive you become about this potential it's like you haven't won the lottery but you've become sort of sort of obsessed with what may come to pass so you don't tell other people what you what they would have said and what i've gathered they sort of said to their relatives was we're going to be back in a couple of days yeah but we can't tell you where we are specifically exactly. because that would defeat the purpose because we're worried that in the back of our minds we kind of mm. don't want you to come along and get a part of it we prefer possibly <laughs> okay. no it's it's weird it's no, prospectors it's, are really yeah. weird people there are yeah. very famous stories about mm. prospectors. You can go into these places in Australia that are renowned for world-class opals, and mm. I've seen documentaries, Paul. You go in and they just look like the the saddest bunch of ragtag dad's army, bloody just... <laughs> and you can't glean. It's like the, the ultimate poker game. You uh-huh. don't know what anyone sitting opposite you is holding. And then you find out that at two in the morning, they're flying out on private jets to Hong Kong. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's another world. And it's very, very much fraught with... It's a dangerous world because you do get a lot of people that get out of jail that basically want to escape and go into a location where no one asks questions. 
So I think it's fair to conclude at this early juncture that there are some also very dodgy people up in these remote areas. And I'm sure that the coroner would take this into consideration, as would the police. So what happened was, on the third trip, they make it to this patch. Mm -hmm. And it's we know where it is. It's three to four kilometres southeast of this campsite. Okay, They've got all the information. We know exactly where they were because they've got so many... Um, sort of records as laid down under communications linking up with satellites and also mobile phones because you know that every time you drive past a tower it pings on the phone yeah and- I remember in the um when the case of Adnan Sayed and the uh, death of Heyman Lee cell towers were used quite extensively but I also know that they're not as accurate or conclusive as prosecutors would like because obviously they're not they're not they're not completely reliable they're they're a little bit hinky but they do let you know approximately where these people are i guess part of the problem dad is that i mean look there's so many ways in which this case gets super super complicated they've got maps and mr milne had made a mud map do you know what a mud, map, a mud is? map no <clears throat> it's a very basic basic map he'd drawn it on a piece of paper and he'd done this to show Ray and Jenny where they were to go, okay? And he'd written a couple of words like sandstone, gravel pit, and he'd also written the word camp, and he had a line that he'd drawn from the the word camp to the words first hole, and he had a line. And it's all directions, and it's pretty basic. I've seen a photograph of it. Okay. But I just wanted to say that it's interesting, Paul, because based on the information on this mud map made by Milne, um, the couple decided not to camp there. The reason they didn't camp there is that they felt the ground was too hard and they were thinking about their Great Dane dog, Ella. And they found another place with some grass just close by. Because Ella's the dog, kind of a, the the dog, dog is a really central player. It's yeah. super important mm-hmm. because it's so important that and the coroner spends a fair bit of time but i've been thinking about this the situation with the dog and i find it troublesome um as will be as will be revealed later um, yep. in, in relation to the different things that are said about the dog and i think it's it's i can understand now why this has come to light because the family are now years later feeling that Maybe things weren't done, you know, perhaps as they as they wished and should have been done. Of course, that's in hindsight. So, Dad, I mentioned before that uh, Ray and Jenny had, you know, they couldn't tell their family or anyone exactly where they were going, but they could say, we're going prospecting, uh, and so don't worry. And according to this statement here, as indicated, the family was told they were going to be out of range for about 10 days and not to stress, and that's a quote. Um, Ray spoke, as I mentioned, they had kids from different marriages. Hmm. So Ray spoke with um, the partner of his uh, daughter, hmm. um, and that was on 17th of March, 2015. Jenny spoke with her daughter uh, about the same time. And so they kind of told people, right? 
And yes. uh, they mentioned the approximate area. There's phone records signifying that um, those were like the last times that they talked to those relatives. Uh, and apparently, according to the uh, family members, they were secretive, but pretty excited about the trip. And that mm. that wasn't out of character, given what they were True, into, true. Right? But also, Paul, interesting out of the coroner's report was the fact that there was a suggestion mm-hmm. that there was another person or entity yeah. seeking prospecting rights over the same area. Now, how they came across that information, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But that is what facilitated the couple to expedite. And Ray and Jenny, obviously incredibly excited, but they knew that there'd been rain up there. And they Just were contacting... By, by, by that, you mean that they had found out that there might be people yes. trying to kind of get gold from where they were trying to get gold from. And so they basically had to hurry up. Hurry. And, and they kept yep. contacting the local shire mm-hmm. on a daily basis to find out when the roads would be cleared every single day jenny phoned to say is it clear yet and you know they they told the family what they were doing but they were very vague about it i mean who on earth would think that there that something terrible was going to happen you know they're 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 they're, they're, they're well prepared they're not okay. they're not just amateurs they're really serious about this they've had some great training they're going to hook up with mr milne who's a really great seasoned prospector mm-hmm. and um you know they relied on, on him and and, and uh, off they set and it's and they said to the family you're not going to hear from us for at least 10 days which yeah, I already is really yeah i know and it's problematic yeah, yeah. because mm-hmm. that creates a delay because for 10 days no one worries and yeah it's just it basically buys the it, well, I, I'm just, look this does spoiler alert become something of a problem later on because they'd been missing for a like if people had been in touch with them more regularly they probably would have been found a lot sooner which would have made anyway we're going to get to that uh, very, very very soon okay so let's let's start with their trip okay hmm. so the trip starts on the 19th of March back in 2015 as I mentioned, um, Ray and Jenny uh, were going to meet up with Mr. Milne. Yeah. And they were going to meet him for breakfast. Hmm. At the Liberty Service Station. Yes, yes, yes. And, you know, they were in communication with each other. Mm-hmm. And they confirmed they... Ray texted Milne at 1.32am. This is how how deep the coroner's gone in terms of record you know, the information yeah. that's available. Mm-hmm. And he confirmed that he and Jenny were on their way. And then they meet Milne at the roadhouse in Woburn. They get petrol. By the way, that is, it's worth pointing out, that is the last time that they are seen by anyone other than Milne, who is Correct. the only yeah. survivor of this trip. Yeah. So this is like the last point that they are interacting with outside civilization before driving into the middle of nowhere. That's right. And they topped up their fuel like to within a drop of the top. Mm -hmm. And then, as you say, Paul, the only identifiable witness that saw them beyond that point Mm -hmm. is Mr. Milne. It's It's a poison chalice that Mr. Milne was given because... You know the thing about 
three people. Mm-hmm. If three people go out, you've got three friends. Unfortunately, often in life, it ends up two against one. Would you agree with that? Uh I don't know if I agree with that. <laughs> okay, cool. It's, it's good not to. It's great that we have different, yeah. <laughs> different. But as a general rule, I feel that, you know, three is a funny number. It's like a yeah. three-legged stool. It's... Well, he's the only witness, but also he's the possibly the perpetrator. of. Look, true, it's... true. I mean, we did... Yeah. yeah. Moral quandaries aside, what happens is they take a 60K unsealed road to this destination of theirs. They arrive 19th of March, 2015. Uh, they set up camp and look... Obviously, you know, there's a mud map that's found later on. Um, they they eventually settle on finding a campsite. Um, and like you said, they had to find somewhere that suited their needs, i.e. proximity to this $3 million patch. But also, like you said, uh, they had to find somewhere that would um, suit their dog, right? Mm-hmm. And the fact that the dog kept running off becomes a major sticking point here. Because, well, yeah, that's oh Mr. Milne's version. That is Mr. Milne's version, yes. That is he correct. basically says that's one of the reasons mm-hmm. that he leaves them. Yeah. Because he felt they were just spending too much the time. Off. Yeah. Yeah. But, Paul, mm-hmm. what comes out in the inquest yeah. is the exact opposite from members of the family. To say, and I find it really problematic, that part of the Explain. evidence that Explain Mr. Milne... Oh, hang on, should we deal with that now or do you want to deal with that later? Um, look, I think we can bounce around a bit with our information. Or we can cut to what happened. There's so much to cover, Paul. Hang on, I know what I want to, I know what I okay, want to do. I want to skip, skip ahead like half a page. Great. So... Part of the inquest was talking quite frequently about the fact that Ella, um, their lovely dog, mm. uh, kept buggering off. Now, mm. I don't know if you've ever had uh, a dog that has not responded to commands, but um, the dog kept running away, uh, apparently chasing, you know, rodents and local wildlife and whatnot. That's that's relatively understandable. Um, Mr. Milne, and this is a quote, said that on one occasion they spent about one and a half to two hours searching for Ella. Right, mm. and like you said, I mean this this got to Mr. Mill, and he just went, you know, I'm I'm jack of it, and that's one of the reasons he cited as for buggering off and leaving them alone. Which again, we only have his word on, but um, but apart from it, seems like for a prospecting trip, they didn't really do much prospecting. I mean, they're only there for a few days, but it seems like they were either off trying to deal with Ella, who kept running away, or uh, Mr. Milne and Ray would hop on quad bikes and go for little jaunts, leaving Jenny back at the campsite, okay? Mm. Um, now, there was one specific trip which I find interesting. The uh, coroner didn't really dwell on this too much, but apparently during one of their quad bike trips, they heard uh, gunfire. Correct. Um, and this is on the 19th of March. Mm. So they head up a hill to try and figure out like where the shots came from. Mm. And according to this report, they saw a vehicle approximately 500 to 600 meters away from them with two males. Yep. And Ray fired a shot or shots from his rifle mm. to signify that there were other people in the area besides them. There is no suggestion that Ray shot in the direction of the two males. Mm. Now, do you think, Dad, that these two guys had any involvement in what followed? Golly, Paul. Possibly 
Um, First of all, is it unusual? No, to it's not. It's not unusual. Your, no, no, go out, go out into any remote place in Australia, or probably in America as well. What do you see on all the road signs, Paul? Uh, bullet holes. Yeah, people shoot yeah. shit out of them. It's we stayed in a- Walhalla, which is a gold mining, ex gold mining town uh, in Victoria. In I mean, it's 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 near Gippsland. It's it's very old, very beautiful. You know, historic tours and whatnot. Very small town center, and uh, we were staying in sort of a cabin and. Uh, we heard deer outside one night. And we're like, that's nice. And then at about 3 a.m., we heard a gunshot. Drove mm. out onto the main road in this lovely little town. And there was just a massive dead like deer lying on the side of the road. Um, they hadn't even picked up the carcass. Some people had just been driving by, seen an animal, shot it, left it to rot. I mean, well, it was... Yeah, that's terrible. But what I'm saying is, yes, people have guns in the country. This is a... It, it's a thing, you know. Um, mm. It's not... It's not uh, out of the ordinary. Okay, look, they hear the gunshots. They get back to camp, and that's Mr. Milne and Ray. So they come back from camp. And again, this is all on Mr. Milne's testimony. We don't actually know what Ray and Jenny thought about these people with the guns. They have a meal. They discuss their plans. The $3 million patch comes up. Um, They crash. They wake up on the 20th of March, 2015. Um, Mm. Milne testifies that he and Ray head east for a couple of kilometers looking for some decent prospecting sites and then um, apparently according to him there was rain and so they came back at around lunchtime Uh, according to weather reports for that day there wasn't rain although given the I don't know if you've ever been to you know anywhere in the Australian outback but it's sort of hard to pin down accurate records and the um, coroner later said that the rain thing isn't really conclusive uh, because you can't really Hmm. pin it down and be completely accurate right yeah so um lunchtime rolls around they're heading out with metal detectors the dog uh i think the dog runs off again at that point yep um and i'm going to read here from the statement again mr milne's evidence is that ella bolted again and he and ray chased after her on the quad bikes after approximately 15 to 20 minutes mr milne saw that ray had found ella and the dog has returned to the campsite afterwards from about 1 or 2 p.m onwards mr milne and ray went for a tour on the quad bikes a quad biking returning to the campsite between 4 and 5 p.m okay hmm. um apparently this was you know to look for more sites to prospect it again it seems like their efforts to actually do any prospecting have been cut short hmm. uh they head back to the campsite they have dinner they go to bed early and uh, mr mill has been sleeping in his land cruiser away from the campsite uh the next day is where things go wrong. Yeah, I think it's fair to say, mm-hmm. uh, and that's what we're going to deal with um, next week on Loose Units: The Shadow Files. It's fairly easy for all of you to head online and find out that this case is ongoing because Ray and Jenny were never found. Well, they kind of were. We don't want to kind of go into too much detail. Um. But Dad, what are your thoughts on uh, what we're going to be talking about next week? Because I mean, it's, I think it's fair to say that this is where the um, the actual potential crime happens, right? I know we're speaking around about terms here, but yes, uh, the wheels do sort of fall off, don't they? Hmm. Yeah. Look, it's interesting looking at these matters through hindsight. Um, you know, it's very easy for us as humans uh, and armchair investigators to say mm-hmm. what we would have done under the circumstances, but I. We'll just say this to you and the listeners, Paul, as a bit of a tease. Yeah. You may recall that 
with our research into the Ivan Malat case in Belangelo, mm -hmm. there was a case of people that smelt what they thought was a dead kangaroo. I'm just going to leave it at that. Okay, so as the uh, implications of Dad's statement sort of linger and as the possibility of a strange smell attracting suspicion kind of hangs in the air like an old funk, we are going to wrap up this episode of Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Obviously, um, we are dealing with a very strange case in that we are actually uh, going through the coroner's uh, inquest. And that is a... God, is it... Like I said at the start of the episode, if all coroner's inquests were this well written, I think I would, uh, I think I'd be reading them on a weekly basis. This is a really compelling case, people, and um, what happens on next week's episode, I think, might chill you to the bone. So make sure you tune in, and make sure you tune in to Loose Units Loose Ends later on this week. We've got a bit of a doozy for you, hmm. but in the meantime, have a fantastic week, everybody. It's been an absolute pleasure spending time with you, and we will see you very, very soon for more Loose Units. Bye, everyone. Cheerio. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.